On Friday, August 25th, 2017, Hurricane Harvey made landfall as a Category 4 hurricane. In Harris County alone, over 1 trillion gallons of water fell during the four days of Harvey's wrath. The water brought widespread catastrophic flooding, which displaced over 30,000 people from their homes. When our community saw the extent of the devastation, the outpouring of generosity was incredible. People from all over the country trusted Sugar Creek and they gave generously. Over $190,000 was donated for relief efforts. Recognizing this enormous responsibility, Sugar Creek pastors immediately formed an accountability task force from lay leaders to ensure that we use the funds with the wisest stewardship and the greatest impact possible. The outcome was awe-inspiring. We mobilized 1,700 volunteers who completed muckout and mold remediation for over 200 homes. An entirely new home was constructed for a family of eight. 12 families from Sugar Creek received assistance. Churches in Katy and Wharton were rebuilt. Ministries like First Baptist Rockport, Attack Poverty, Second Mile, and more received donations to help with ongoing recovery efforts all along the Texas Gulf Coast. And countless more examples proved that the love and grace of Christ was poured out of Sugar Creek this past year. Our gospel teams have continued to engage these communities with prayer, care, and the gospel. Many people who were far from God have come into a forever relationship with Christ as a result of the grace they encountered from Sugar Creek. We made him known by the way we loved and cared for so many. Well, Hurricane Harvey arrived, as you remember, on a Sunday morning. And for the next four days after, and that was one year from now, Four days after, it totally changed our life. It deeply affected every single one of us. And some of our members have still not gotten on the other side of it one year later. But through all that that had, had occurred, it is amazing what God did. God raised up 1,700 volunteers out of this congregation and used us to touch the lives of people all over this area to help muck out, help clean out 200 homes. Did you know that it cost a homeowner, if they hire this out, $20,000 to have their house mucked out and then sanitized, and we did that free of charge for 200 homeowners, and we did it simply to say that God loves them and we gave, he gave us the opportunity to share Christ with people that did not know him. Churches all over the country came, converged upon the Houston area, all over this region, and began to help people in need all over this region. And in uh, response to that, there were several people, many people, that accepted Jesus Christ as Savior because of the witness of these believers who came. Here is a God, and only God can do this, take the worst of situations and turn it for good. Turn it as an opportunity to say to this city, I love you, and now my people are coming to minister to you. Only God can do such a thing. Amen. Today is Promotion Sunday at Sugar Creek. 
for the kids because the kids are back in school now. Yay, God, kids, aren't you thrilled that you're back in school? You're back in school now, and you're promoted to another grade, and so at Sugar Creek, you're promoted to another level too, and today is Promotion Sunday. But have you noticed that adults never promote? We get older every year, but we just act like it didn't happen, and nobody promotes. Sugar Creek is in the throes over the next six weeks of what I call a defining moment for our church. We've had several as a church over our 43 years. It is a special moment. It is a key moment. A defining moment means, whether good or bad, this will impact this ministry for years to come. And we're in that next defining moment as a church. And over these next six weeks, it will tell the story for the next many years of this church's ministry. It is an exciting time, an exciting time to see what God is going to do among us. And as I saw this coming, as I saw this moment emerging, I felt like what we needed to do maybe is to stop for a moment and, and go back and take a look at our roots and who we are and what we're about. Everyone needs to do that every so often, and every church needs to have that moment every so often to sort of step back and take a fresh look at itself, at our history and what we're about. And so we're in a series entitled, Who We Are. Who We Are, a people on mission. And what we're doing is we're addressing, addressing this through a series of questions and answers to the questions. For instance, we started with, where do we start? Where do we start? Where is the foundation of all of this? And second of all, why are we here? Why does this church exist? Why does any church exist? Why are we here? And then, what do we value? What matters most to us? This morning, I want us to take a look at the fourth question, and it's simply this. How can we participate? How can we be a part of what it is that God is up to in this church? And I want to talk to you about that today. And to do that, I want to kind of start, if I can, with an illustration. How many of you have ever audited a college course? Not just one, one session, but an entire course. How many of you have ever audited a college course before? Anybody? In both of the first two services, there were a lot of people that had, and I have. In fact, uh, since I've been your pastor, I've actually audited several courses electronically. Electronics, man, that has totally changed the dynamic. And I've gotten to, to, to actually audit some classes. And most of the classes that I've audited or courses that I've audited have to do with history because I love it. Bible history and American history are the two things that I just deeply, deeply love. And I've gotten the opportunity to audit. And I got to tell you, it is absolutely amazing. I get all this information but I don't have to read any of the assignments. All these books you got to buy, all these books you got to read, all these chapters of the textbooks, I didn't have to read any of them. I didn't read any of them. And the tests, I didn't take any tests. All these tests that you've got to take, when you audit a course, you don't have to read the stuff. You don't have to take the tests. It's the best of both worlds. You get the information and none of the hassle. Or is it? 
the truth is maybe it's not the best of both worlds because here's the truth. I didn't learn nearly as much in those courses as the people who actually took the course, who actually read the textbook, who actually read the other assignments, who actually took the test. I didn't learn nearly as much as they did. In fact, as I stepped back and took a look at what I had actually learned, I realized it was really more of a facade. I just skimmed the surface of the information and material, and I hadn't really been overly affected by any of it. Not like those who had actually taken the course, read the materials, gotten ready for the test, really had internalized the material. Those were the ones that were actually impacted the most. There is a principle, and I wrote it down. It is simply this, a giant part of the learning and the growing process is to take on the responsibilities that are associated with it. And that is true about any facet of life. The giant part of learning and growing in that process is to take on the responsibilities. So much about our life these days are forgetting the responsibilities and we're suffering because of it. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, today, there is a new fad of um, auditing marriage. Auditing marriage. Auditing marriage is we are going to come together and we're going to live together in a sexual relationship but not be married. We're going to audit marriage. We're going to try it out. And you know what? After all these people in the past that have divorced, we're going, to, uh, we're going to overcome that because what we're going to do is we're going to kind of feel each other out. We're going to see how we work. Do we really, are we really compatible? And if we're not, we'll break up. We'll go do that with to who knows how many other people until we find the person and then we'll get married. And if you think about it, there's some logic to it. I mean, at least the argument of it has some logic to it, but it isn't playing out. You see, this is sort of a new phenomena, and what's happened is, is that now studies are being made on this very phenomena, and what they're discovering is, is that those who audit marriage, those who, who are sort of working it out, and then finally, maybe they get married to this person, those individuals actually end up with a higher divorce rate than those who just committed themselves to marriage at the beginning. This is the shocker of the study. What is being discovered is it's actually having a reverse result than anyone expected. Those people who have said, you know what? I love you, and I choose you. And I know that when we get married, I'm going to discover some things about you I do not like. And you're going to discover some things about me that you do not like. And then we're going to have some very animated discussions together in our home. But I'm all in. I am marrying you. I am committing to you. And what the studies are showing is that those people who begin there instead of the other place actually have a lower divorce rate because they took on the responsibilities at the very beginning. They learned and grew faster than the others. The same thing has to do with parenting. Kathy and I got married, and we didn't have children for a few years, and, but I was a pastor, and I taught, preached on all the topics, and one of the topics was parenting, 
And I was an expert on it. I was an expert on parenting, and I told them all how to get it done. And then I had a child and two, and I realized I didn't know what in the world I was doing. And when I went back and looked at those very same passages of Scripture, I saw them totally different once I had experience and I was actually living out the responsibility and I realized it was not what I said. The greatest part of the learning experience is the taking on the responsibilities. It will grow you deeper and stronger than if you do not. The Bible says that God's greatest goal for you and I is that we would become like Jesus Christ, that we would be changed from the inside out to be like Christ. This is not Mark Hartman that is saying that. This is God that is saying this. And he's saying, my greatest goal for you is to change you to be like Christ. But the way, the most successful way in order for this to happen is for you to take on the responsibilities to be a participant in this, you'll, you cannot believe how quickly you'll grow. I want to say something that is going to make some of you upset with me, and I hate doing it. I just hate it when people get mad at me. How about that for starting a sentence? Isn't that a great way to start a sentence? Here's what I want to say. I suspect that there are many in this room, perhaps, at least some, who are auditing the Christian life. You're auditing. If the truth is really known, you are an observer, an auditor of the Christian life. You're picking up some stuff. You come and, come and maybe you sing, maybe you don't, and then you get a little bit from maybe what I say, then you leave and you're never different. You never change. You never grow. You're auditing, but you're not participating. And because you're not taking the responsibilities and building the discipline of what it means to be a Christ follower, you're always going to be shallow, always going to be weak in your Christian life. The only way to change that is to make a decision, God, I'm going to stop holding the Christian life at arm's length, I'm going to take this on, I'm going to participate, I'm going to take on the responsibilities of the Christian life. And the moment you do it and begin to actually live it out, it's amazing what will begin to happen in your life. Now, what do I mean by the responsibilities? Well, in the, in the way I'm thinking, at least three things. I'm sure there's more. But the first one is this. To make a decision in this church or some church, I'm going to be a part of this church. I'm going to join this church. I'm going to commit myself to this body of Christ. I'm going to pour my heart into you, you, you into my heart, and we are going to be a part of a church together. I'm going to commit myself. A second thing is I am then not just going to stop holding at arm's length. I'm going to commit to being a part of the church. But second of all, I'm going to not just be a taker anymore. I'm going to be a giver. And by that I mean every time we come, there are people that are giving to us in ministry. Maybe they're at the door and they're the greeters or at the door of the worship center or up here on the platform in leading or whatever it is. But there are people all over the church who have taken on a ministry and they're giving to you and me. They're giving to us. 
God, I'm going to not just be a taker of what others give out. I am actually going to take on a ministry myself. I'll be a recipient of the ministry of others, and I'm going to take on a ministry, and I'm going to give to others. It changes the whole dynamic of church. The third is I'm going to be a financial giver to the ministry of the church. There were people that made a place for me. They gave this ministry to me, to affect me, to help me. And now I'm going to make a way for somebody else. I am going to give so that others are blessed as well. It is the third one of these that I want to talk to you about and sort of zero in the most on because I do this approach, this particular topic, every time at this year. I hardly ever talk about the subject, but this time of year, I always talk about it uh, one time. And so I want to talk to you about this third aspect of giving back financially to the church, to the ministry of the church. And by this, I'm talking about not a special offering. I'm talking about the 24-7 ministry of the church. I'm talking about giving of our tithes and offerings to to the the 24-7 year-round ministry of the church called the church's budget, giving to that so that other people are ministered to. Kathy and I, for all of our marriage, all of our marriage, every year of our marriage, every year, have given back to the Lord in our tithes and in almost every one of these years above our tithe, beyond our tithe to the ministry. There is a verse in Scripture that I want to draw attention to found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 and 19 that she and I particularly love. And it is a passage of Scripture in which God says, you know, I use every aspect of your life to get you ready for heaven, including your money. And notice how he puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. Tell them to use their money to do good. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. Now listen to what he says. He says that for Kathy and I, that every time we give after every paycheck and we give of our tithe and even beyond our tithe, every time we do, we're not just giving to the church, we are actually storing up treasure in heaven for ourselves. In heaven, an investment for eternity. And so are you. Have you ever thought of that? You're actually storing up in heaven an investment for yourself in eternity. The stories of Jesus and his actions, and especially his miracles, every one of them were intended to help us better understand God and what he's doing and how he wants to work in our life. And there is one particular story of a miracle that Jesus performed that I think is the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels. I think it's the only one that is mentioned in all four Gospels. It is the story of when Jesus took that lunch of that little boy of the loaves of bread and the fish 
And he prayed over it and multiplied it and used it to feed 5,000 men and probably many others. I want to take a look at that particular miracle of Jesus because it teaches us some things. All of, these pro- all of these stories of Jesus are intended to teach us some things that can change our life. It was intended for us to grasp some things about God that would affect our lives today. So I want us to look at John's story of his account of this very miracle. And look at what John says. When Jesus looked up, it's John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? Now, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, are you kidding? Eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each of these just to have a bite How am I going to get enough food? I I wouldn't have the slightest idea how to get enough food. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, wait a minute, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many. Now stop for a moment. When we talk about loaves of bread, we are thinking about like these one pound normal loaves of bread. But in New Testament times, when they said loaves of bread, they actually meant a tortilla, a tortilla. I've been using the L's. I keep trying to use the L's in tortilla. They would, that would be like a pita bread. It would be like a tortilla. And this guy, this little boy had five loaves of bread, five tortillas. That's all it was. And two little fishes. How big were the fish? We don't know. It, it, it was probably not sardines, but it would have been not much bigger. And this little boy, that was his lunch. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saw this, and he took this to Jesus and said, but what is this going to do? Well, there was plenty, of, Jesus said, have the people sat down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And the same, he did the same with the, the fish. Can you believe this? He said, take as much of the bread and as much as the, of the fish that you want. And they ate to their heart's content. And when they had all had enough to eat, He said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You know, when I'm reading this, I get to the end and I realize, what, there was no leftover fish? It's just leftover bread. That's all there is. And then it dawned on me, well, there's 5,000 men. Anytime there's meat... They will eat every bit of the meat. And probably he just said, okay, stop the miracle because they're getting too much cholesterol. They're going to just keep eating this. They're going to just going to keep eating. They gathered up 12 basketfuls of barley loaves. It is an amazing miracle. 
Now, in every one of the stories, he intends for us to learn, and so what is it that he is wanting us to know from the story? Well, there's several things, and it has to do with the whole idea of giving. This little boy gave his meal, his lunch, and it changed everything. So the first principle that he wants us to grasp is this. When we give to God, we honor him. The little boy gave this gift. They didn't take the gift from him. He, they came, is it okay if we have it? Sure. He gave the gift. And when he gave this gift of his lunch to Jesus, he was honoring Jesus. He was honoring Jesus because it was an act of trusting Jesus to do the right thing with what he had given. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're talking about this little boy. So here's a question I'm going to pose. When this little boy gave his lunch, did he have to skip lunch that day? He had given his lunch, so obviously he wasn't going to get to eat, right? No, that isn't right at all. Jesus blessed the lunch, and what happened is that everybody ate to their heart's content, and that included this little boy. And in fact, when this little boy gave his lunch to Jesus, he lost nothing. He lost nothing. In fact, did you know it may be that he actually ate more than five tortillas and two little fish? He might have eaten six or seven tortillas and seven or eight fish for all we know. This little boy may have eaten more than he would have eaten had he not given his lunch. When he gave what he gave to Jesus, he lost nothing. You're saying, maybe some of you are saying, yeah, but this is a Bible story, Mark. This is, this is, but it's not real life. Oh, it is real life. I can tell you from history, I can tell you from my experiences that nothing has changed about this truth. All through the Bible, you go to the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, you're going to find so many passages of Scripture, so many stories in which God is saying to you and I, I want you to give of your first fruits to me every single time. First fruits was always meaning the tithe. I was, I'm wanting you to give before you do anything else with the income that you get. I want you to first give to me. He does it all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. Why? Why does God put so much emphasis on this issue? Because he does. Well, at least one of the reasons is this. God knows that our hearts are connected to our treasure. God knows that our hearts are connected to our treasure. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather store up yourself treasures for yourself, treasures in heaven. Now stop for a moment with me. He is using the same idea that we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 18 and 19 where he says that every time we give to God, we're actually storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And Jesus is saying exactly the same thing. Listen to what he said. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. And notice the last verse. 
For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. What is he saying? See, God knows the truth that wherever we put our money, our heart always follows. And that is anything. Whatever it is, wherever it is that we put our money, our heart always follows our money. If you invest in a business, I guarantee you, you're checking the stocks all the time. You're trying to figure out how well this business is going. You put your money into the business. You want to make sure it's okay. Your heart is now there. And God is saying this to you and me. I want your heart to be in my church. I want your heart to be in my ministry. And so I want you to put your heart into my ministry. And the way you do it is you put your treasure in it because wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The biblical standard is to give the first 10%. The word, ten, the word tithe means 10%. The word tithe that the Bible uses over and over does not mean some gift. The word tithe means 10%. That's what the actual word, word means. The Bible standard is to give the first 10% a tithe of our income to the ongoing work of God in the church where God has planted you for that ongoing ministry. That is what God wants. Now, can I tell you the truth? The very first time somebody does it, anybody, whoever it is, the first time they do it, they are in a panic. Oh, my soul. They're writing this check. They're filling out whatever, and they're giving this money, and the first thing that happens inside is, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm not even going to be able to pay the bills. Why am I doing this? I know because that's what I did. I know that is the first thing because it is sort of like a a culture shock. Look at me. I'm giving this money away. But those of us who've been tithing for a long time, who've been giving back to God for a long time, chuckle at such such an idea because we know the truth. We have seen from our own experience, our, our, own, our own participation, we have already seen you're never going to miss that. In fact, here's what's going to happen. God's going to take your 90% further than your 100% would have gone because this is what God will do in your life. I've seen him do it in my life constantly for all of these years. That somehow, way, my 90% goes further than my 100% and it makes absolutely no sense. And I know it makes no sense, but here's what I also know. It actually happens. So much do, Kathy and I know this, we cannot afford not to tithe. Because the truth is we know that as we give, God's going to bless. He's going to help us. He's going to meet our needs, and we have seen him do it over and over and over again. So, the first principle that we get from the story is simply this idea that when we give back to God, we are honoring Him. But there's a second principle, and it's simply this. When we give to to Jesus, when we give to God, we help others. Think about this little boy. He gave his, his lunch... And then he sat back and he watched what happened, and all of a sudden, he is feeding 5,000 men. 
And it's not just 5,000 people out there. It's 5,000 men. But he's a little boy. He's probably not the only little boy. Maybe there's a bunch of little boys out there. Maybe a bunch of little girls. Maybe a bunch of moms. We don't know how many people were out there. We just know there were about 5,000 men. And as he sits back and he looks and he says, look what I did. Look at my lunch. I'm actually feeding everybody. I mean, I, okay, I know Jesus did the miracle, but he started with my lunch. And by starting with his lunch, look what happened. And the same thing goes with us when we give back to God. As we give to this ministry, God is using it to touch the lives of so many people. Let me give you some examples. Two months ago, we had Vacation Bible School, VBS. And we had over 2,700 at VBS. I've never heard of a church ever having 2,700. Probably there are some churches, but not very many if there are. 2,700. Now, 1,900 of the 2,700 were kids and 800 adults. You would hate to be at a VBS when it is 2,700 kids and no adults. I wouldn't even have come. So you had 800 adults make, made up the 2,700. And in the 2,700, 1,900 kids, and did you know that 45 of these kids came to know Jesus as their Savior? First time they ever made a decision and gave their heart to Christ. And that's all we know. There may have been more we didn't know. It's, it's fantastic. But I think about all the other kids. I, I think about if that 1,900 kids. I think about how many of them already knew Jesus and now they grew a little bit further in their relationship with Christ. And how, much, how many of those did not, have never accepted Christ, but they grew a step closer to knowing him. And all of that was happening in VBS and for those 800 workers, all of us were blessed. In the things that were taught, in the, in the worship that was done, and the whole exercise of VBS, every one of us were blessed. But it wouldn't have happened if you didn't give. You gave. And it is the only reason VBS happened. There is a whole s section of every dollar that you give that goes to missions around the world through the ministry of this church. When you gave this last year to this church, fin let me finish the whole sentence, we invested some of that money into buying commercial sewing machines. What? And generators. Wait a minute. and sent a team to Nepal. Nepal is on the other side of the world. And sent a team to Nepal to teach a group of young ladies how to use the sewing machines and the generator and make handbags. Why did we do this? Because we had teams that had already gone to Nepal and led so many people to Christ. And among those that we had the opportunity to help introduce to Christ, give the, share the gospel with them, were a group of young women who were involved in the sex trafficking in that country.
Some of them had been kidnapped as little girls and, 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 and now were uh, drug addicts because they'd been forced drugs on them and they had been abused and used. But they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They gave their heart to Jesus Christ and we were able to rescue them out of that. But now what do they do? Where do they work? In a place that has such poor uh, unemployment, how do we help them make a living? Or do they go right back into it because it's the only way they can survive? And the idea came, let's begin a business. Let's teach them how to make handbags. Let's buy them the sewing machines they need and the generators they need and send a team and train them. And what has happened is, is that we're training a group of young girls who had been kidnapped and taken into this whole terrible thing and they've been rescued with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've been giving them now an opportunity to make their own way, their own living and they're making handbags and we bring the handbags back and we sell them and we send every single penny back to them so that they can have a living and keep making handbags and they're selling them there and selling them here and we have opened a door of opportunity for them They're in their church. They're in their church and they're they're growing in their faith and they're sharing Christ with their family. And this all happened because of you. Because you gave. This last year we drilled so many water wells in so many third world countries in their little villages that have no fresh water. They're actually walking for miles trying to go to some contaminated uh, stream that has it's contaminated with uh, animals and all the stuff and, and they have microorganisms in them that's killing these people eventually. This is why their lifespan is so short. And we have gone to so many of these villages through Living Water International, a ministry that was started here at Sugar Creek and now has become an international ministry, but we are still deeply invested. And we help drill water wells in third world countries where they now for the first time in their lives can drink clean water that is not contaminated. And people are saying, where does this well come from? Well, the Christians did it. And we're sharing the gospel and many of them are coming to know Christ as Savior. And we're partnering with a church that already exists in that little village or we're helping an organization plan a new church in that little village. And these people that are new found Christians are now in this church and they're telling their relatives and friends about Christ. And you made this happen because you gave. You did it. And we're involved in Second Mile Mission Center here that takes care of, in our region, people that are impoverished and are hurting and feeds people every single day and every single day shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and so many people over the course of a year come to know Christ as Savior. And Second Mile Mission Center started in this church and grew up and now churches all over the region are participating And we are still invested, giving money, helping other people that are in need. And you did it. Because you gave to this church. Do you see what you're doing? 
And you are a part of the Spanish ministry that came up out of this church. And this last year, the couple, a young couple came to the Spanish ministry. And they were living together outside of marriage. But we, we want, in every service, we have many couples that are here and they're living together outside of marriage. And they're all, you, every single person, welcome forever. Welcome forever in this church. And we will not judge you and put you down. We will simply teach the word of God. And so when this young couple came and they were loved and received and, and, and accepted, both of them heard the gospel of Christ and both of them accepted Jesus as their Savior. Both of them came to be Christ followers. And as they began to read the Bible, they began to see, well, wait a minute, living together outside of marriage is not what God intended. God intended there to be a commitment of marriage. And both of them came to Pastor Juan Carlos and said, would you marry us? And he performed the ceremony. And they both heard about the gospel conversation training where we train people to share their faith with others. And they went and they got trained. And now... And now, almost every member of her side of the family they have witnessed to, and almost every one of them have accepted Christ as Savior and are now coming to Sugar Creek. Well, you're part of this. You made this happen because you gave. Do you see what you're doing? And with Hurricane Harvey and the 200 houses, where did all the materials come from? From your giving. And one of those families, one of those families was such an impoverished family, and they lived in a lean-to house, and when we saw it, it broke our heart. But the flood totally destroyed the house. And a group of our men in our church built them a small, it's simple, but a house. Built the house. And where did the materials come from? They came from you. You did this. And now they have a new house. And you did this. Do you see what I'm saying? This is why it's so important. We had 200 who gave their heart, over 200 gave their heart to Christ. And 168 of those followed Christ in believer's baptism or so. And half of those were adults, the hardest people in the world to reach. But it happened because you gave. I could tell you a million stories there's no end to these stories. But you, you made it happen. And this is what the Bible is teaching us, that when you and I give back to God, we help others. We are a part of other people's lives, real people. There's one last thing I want to share, and that is when we give, we, you, are blessed it comes back to you. You are blessed. When we give, God blesses us back. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's financially. God blesses us back through so many ways. It's not always financial, but it is just as great a blessing. This little boy, you know for the rest of his life. Imagine, he grew up. He grew up, and what is he doing? He's telling his grandkids you, you can't believe what I did. I gave my lunch. All these people were fed. Isn't it amazing? 
And there's such a blessing of the rest of his life for what he did. There's a story, and I'm going to close with this. There's a story in the Old Testament in which God's people come back from Babylonian captivity back in Jerusalem. They rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild all of Jerusalem, but they did not rebuild the temple. And God said to them, I want you to rebuild the temple. And for 18 years, they ignored it. And finally, in the book of Haggai, God speaks to them. And some of you are saying, the book of Haggai? There's a book of Haggai? In the Old Testament, it's an Old Testament book. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, and listen to what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. I don't have time for this. I don't see a need for this. I, I don't know. I know God said it 18 years ago, but I'm going to just keep ignoring. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, my house, remains in ruin? You're doing good, aren't you? You got a nice house. You, you bought all your stuff. You took care of yourself. And you're still not meeting my needs? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. Have you noticed that? You're losing part of your harvest every year. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Well, guess where the holes came from, he's saying. They came from me. Everything's for you. Everything is for you. Everything is for you. Well, let me just tell you, I'm going to put some holes in your pocket to get your attention. The people were living a self-first lifestyle instead of a God-first lifestyle. And the consequences of living a self-first lifestyle is that we exclude God from supernatural involvement in our finances. But the opposite is just as true. God blesses us when we give back to him. So, okay, Mark, what's this whole thing about? Here's the bottom line. I'm challenging you to obey God. Not obey Mark Hartman. I'm challenging you, challenging you to obey God. Many of you in this church give, and I want to say thank you. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you are affecting so many people's lives. Yea, God, for you. And many are not giving, perhaps. I don't know who gives and who doesn't, so I'm not looking at anybody. I don't know who gives. But listen to me. If you're not, here's what I'm challenging you to do. Begin giving. Back to God. And let him prove himself to you. Begin today. And if you can't begin today, you're going to get paid this week. Start September by saying, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And there will be panic the first few times you do it. But I'm still going to trust God and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Bless it. Bear fruit from it, we ask. We thank you, Father, for so many here. And I ask, Father, that you would move in hearts to receive Christ as Savior, to join this church, whatever you're leading their heart to do. And, Father, be blessed 
because we've chosen not to be auditors anymore, but participators in what you've called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.